I'll probably start sitting in this chair, but I just decided I learned something. Apostle Nelson, I learned something. If the Lord gives us some revelation that just, just makes us really happy, wants to celebrate, this, this chair is perfect. You just go, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. And then vertigo sets in. We're having fun this morning. We're enjoying our time together in the Word of God. And uh, more will be here tonight. I'm not being hard on the ones that aren't here. They, uh, many of them I know are working or their kids and so forth. And, and they'll be here. And we'll have a great time tomorrow morning in celebration. Life Church will have a great time in Surrey. Pastor Gwen isn't here because she's, she's on holiday. And uh, I think she's going to, I think they're up around Kelowna somewhere. So they're going to be there Monday, I think. So we'll see them there. Praise the Lord. Okay, 1042, almost 1045. So we'll go to the 11th. Okay. All right. Father, we love you. We're so grateful for the people of God. We love them. We love you. We're grateful to be together. We thank you for another day. We can't wait to see what you've got next for us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's move on to what you must overcome to move to next. Olivia, do you have that? What you must overcome to get to next. What you must overcome to get to next. I think the first one is inaccurate information. Put that up. Let's see where we are. Okay. No, failure to move now. Okay. Failure to make now as excellent as you can. If you're going to move to what God has next, it's important that you make now as excellent as you can. You might want to write this down. I don't think I've got it on PowerPoint. I might. Olivia will know. She knows. Mediocrity has no mobility. Mediocrity has no mobility. What do I mean by that? Let me, let me illustrate it this way. Why would God help me get a new car if I won't clean my old car? Why would God want to enrich my ministry? I don't mean financially. It could be that way too, but... Why would God want to enrich my ministry, give me new opportunities with new protégés and so forth, if I'm sloppy with the protégés I have? I don't, I don't believe mediocrity has any upward mobility. Does that make sense to you? In the business world, I love what, I love what you said, Pastor David, when we were talking and used the hockey illustration. You know, it was... It was who do you pass the puck to? The one that's moving. The one that's moving toward the goal. You pass it. You don't. You don't pass the puck to one who's stationary, hanging around in in, in the back, eyes saying, you know, well, maybe in the next play. No, who's moving? Who's moving toward the goal? Have you noticed this? Busy people get busier. Praying people get more prayer needs given to them. People that work in the church get more work in the church. Daniel's noticed that. Pastor Daniel's noticed that. Why? It just works that way. Mediocrity has no mobility. If I'm in business, 
and I'm, I'm analyzing who I'm going to give more work to. Who am I going to give more work to? People that haven't completed their assignments? People that show up late? People that take longer lunch periods? No, I'm going to find the guy that's made now as excellent as they can. Making now excellent qualifies me to go to next. A friend of mine, uh, their church was exploding, just growing like mad. And they had nice facilities. They, they were good. But they were outgrowing them. And he began to say, Lord, I'm just, we've really got to have new facilities. And we're going to need big facilities. And right now we don't have the finances to build uh, the big facility we need. And the Lord said, I'm right now having a corporation build you a state-of-the-art facility in this region. It'll be way beyond your comprehension, way beyond. And it was when they got it, it's worth $23 million. It's now debt-free. And, uh, but a corporation was building it for their use, massive auditorium, hydraulically moved walls that walk, you know, you push a button and move them in and out. Commercial kitchens, office space, vestibule, lobbies, state-of-the-art lighting built in, all of this, $23 million worth. And the Holy Spirit didn't tell him what building or what corporation and so forth. He only told him one thing. He said, I'm right now having a corporation build you the building. They're going to they're gonna build the building, and then they're going to have major financial problems, and you're going to get it way under market, and then I'm going to help you pay it off. And so... My pastor friend got excited about that. Went for a year, two years, three years, et cetera, et cetera. Nothing happening. And he goes to the Lord and he says, Lord, you told me I know your voice. You told me. Why aren't, why aren't we moving toward that? He said, you haven't painted uh, the fellowship hall of the building you're in. He said, you haven't shown me honor by making the current building as excellent as possible. He said, so until you make the building you're in the best it can be, you can wait for the other one. They called in a paint crew, man. They called the work day quick. And they started going around and finding this could be better. This could be better. The sound could be better. The lighting could be better. We could do that better. And they made that building they were in the very best best it could be. And when that happened, that company went belly up, bankrupt, and they're in that facility. $23 million facility. It's now debt-free. I had the opportunity and privilege to help people schedule their harvest by sowing seeds, not into my ministry, but into the building, and saw that thing made debt-free. And guess what? They still own the other building. Because God made it to where he said, he said, you've made this so excellent. He said, um, he said, I'm going to let you have both, and you can use this as a training center over here for specialized things and humanitarian things and so forth. So now you can have both. But you're going to have to make now excellent. Make now excellent. Do the best you can with what you have. I'm not talking about just church. I'm talking about us individually too. Make now excellent. And when you make now excellent, it qualifies you to move to next. Have you ever noticed people that get up and, uh, you know, I, you don't do this here. It's always quality worship. But have you ever noticed people 
and been in places, and they'll get up, and they're going to lead worship and say, well, we really haven't practiced. We're not sure the sound levels are right. We really, we're struggling with the words of this. We're not sure, but, you know, pray for us, you know. And then they'll say, help us, help us. And I'm always thinking, man, if i got to help you, why am I following you? It irritates me when preachers get up preach and say, well, you know, I really, I really haven't studied it thoroughly enough, but, I, you know, I really I feel God wants me to do it. So, yeah. and, and I love it when they say, i got to get some help up in here. No, you don't. If i got to help you, <laughs> come on, somebody. No, come on, man. Prepare. Make it right. Make it right. Do it your best. Other people may not think it's your best, but if it's your best, it's your best. So make now, as act on the scan, number two. Now, I'm going to stretch you a little bit. Go ahead and put it up. Worshiping an idol made of divine material is a blockade of moving to what God has next. Now, we talked about this a little bit last night. I say, Brown, what do you mean by worshiping an idol made of divine material? That almost sounds like an oxymoron, idol and divine. I mean, it can't be both. No. Remember the brazen serpent we talked about last night? That was divine idea. It was God's idea to make the brass serpent and put it on a pole. It was God's idea that if the people looked at it, they wouldn't die of the poisonous snakes. So it was divine material, but it became an idol. And it stopped Israel from moving into everything God wanted. Let me give you another example. Moses, 2.5 million people are thirsty. There's no water. Walk over to the side of that mountain. It wasn't a rock this big. I love it when you see pictures of Moses hitting the rock, and it's a rock about this big. And he hits it, and this little stream of water comes out. There's 2.5 million people in their livestock. And you're going to have a long wait on this water fountain, this little water fountain. In fact, archaeologists can show you today where a major river flowed out of a mountain and left a trace in the middle of the desert. So when Moses hit the rock, it wasn't a rock. It was a rock. It was the side of a mountain. And God says, walk up, take your staff, hit the side of of this rocky mountain, and water will come forth. And it was a river that came forth. All their livestock, all, all of the people. Was that a divine instruction? Come on, talk to me. Was that a divine instruction? Did it work? It Was it anointed? Okay, now they get thirsty again later on. And God's got another rock. And he says to Moses, speak to the rock. And Moses hits it. And water comes out. God will move even in our inaccuracies because he loves his people. He hits it. Why? Because this is the way we do it. This is the way God told me to do it before, and I'm not moving to next. God did not want him to hit it twice. Twice. 
because he's trying to use the rock not only to give water to his people, but as a picture of what Jesus was going to give to us. That the rock was Christ, and he would be hit or smitten once on the cross, not twice. So he said, don't hit that rock again. You're going to mess up my typology. That's basically, he said, speak to it. He hit it. God still provided the water for his people. And then you know what he said to Moses? Big boy, you've studied Egyptian logistics that I've used for 40 years. You found out how to lead people by leading sheep for 40 years in the middle of the desert. You're going to lead my people from Egypt to Canaan for about, and 40 years is going to take because of their rebellion. But I told you to speak to the rock, and you would not, you would not let go of last. You made hitting the rock an idol. And so, Moses, I love you, and you're not going into Canaan. Boy, Lord, isn't that a little harsh? To whom much is given? God expects more from me. And he does my sons and daughters. James said this. He said, don't desire to be a teacher. Don't desire to be a master. Don't desire to be a leader. Don't desire to be a mentor. Don't desire to be a spiritual father and mother. Without understanding this, that you're going to be judged with a greater judgment. By people and by me. Now, when we hear that, we can respond one of two ways, getting fear. Oh, God's going to, you know, I messed up. I made a mistake. I mean, dear Lord, Moses just just hit the rock and didn't get to go into Canaan. You know, wow, that was a terrible punishment. I've been thinking about it. Knowing the people he was leading, I think it was probably a relief. <laughs> Hello. But he's trying to show us something. And that's real big. Guys, as you move up in God, as you move to what's next in God, as you discover your assignments, remember what the Lord laid it on my heart to say it when I first started out, even before I got into my notes? With every next level, there are new requirements. There are new expectations. Things that used to be optional, or let me put it this way. Things that are optional in the now will be compulsory in the next. And that's why a lot of people don't want to move to next. You can't have the blessing of next without the responsibilities of next. You can't have the anointing of next without the annoyance of next. Oh, write that down. You can't have the anointing of, not that you need it, I want to tweet it afterwards. And I'll forget it. You go ahead and tweet it. No, I want you to. Take the credit and get, get the mail from people that don't like it. (laughs) 
<laughs> I really want that tweeted. That and remind me of that. Oh, I'm glad I came and heard me say that. You can't, you can't have the anointing of next without the annoyance of next. And with every next season, there's another annoyance. So, Brother Mike, I just want to go to next where there is no annoyance. What kind of flowers would you like at your funeral? Because that's the only way you're going to get out. As long as we're here, you're going to have some annoyance. Worshiping an idol made of divine material. He couldn't move off what God did and to move into what God was doing. Jesus, you've heard me use this excuse me, illustration, but maybe not all of you. Jesus in healing blind men. Blind man walks up. I'm blind. I need healing. Jesus touches him one time, instantly heals. And the people all around, the Pharisees and everybody, they go, wow, look at that. He heals blind men by touching them once. So they put it in their doctrine. He heals blind men by one touching. All in favor? Say aye. Aye. Has it run through the church committees? Has it gone through the Pharisees to check the accuracy of the Talmudic fence laws? Is it all right if he touches once? Yes, we approve. Hallelujah. So Jesus waits for the religious process to be finished, and another blind man walks up. I'm blind. I can't see. Touches him once. Can you see? Not well. I see men as trees walking. Oh, I'll touch you a second time. Now I see clearly. Let me ask you something. Was Jesus deficient in power that day? His batteries were low. No. So why does he touch him twice? I'll tell you why I think he did. He's saying to everybody watching, you ain't going to put me in a one-touch box. You're not going to tell me how I move. What I did then, I may do different now. It'll have the same effect, but I am God and you're not. That's a great revelation to find when God says to you, he said that to me sometimes, Mike, I am God, and change not, and you aren't, and need to. <laughs> and so, they're watching, and, and I can almost hear them. I don't believe that was of God. Why? He touched him twice. I like this group we're having. He touched him twice. I don't believe in that. That's new. Anything that's new isn't true. Anything that's true isn't new. It may be new and is true. It's just new to you. That's a two-touch. That's of the devil. And then one of them said, no, really, it was one touch. In two phases. No, I definitely saw two touches. No, no. Let's have some grace here. <laughs> it was one touch in two phases. So they probably had their religious argument back and forth and came to a conclusion, all right. 
One touch or two touch, we're good with that as long as it's a touch. Amend the bylaws, the Constitution, run it through the committees. Send out the newsletter. We approve healing blind men by touching them once or twice. We're good. We're wide open to God's move. Yeah. So Jesus waits. And another blind man one day comes and approaches him and says, I'm blind. I can't see. I'm from a long line of one-touchers. But we have liberalized our theology into two-touch. So, Lord, one-touch or two-touch, either way works for my religion. And the Lord goes, well, And he spits on the ground, and he makes spittle. That's bad enough. And the guy probably thinks, well, he's going to touch me, but he's just going to anoint me in the shape of a cross with, with split, spittle. No, he takes big globs of spit and puts it on his eyes. Now, he's blind, which means he doesn't see it coming. I mean, I'm not trying to be funny here. I want you to see some things you haven't seen in the Bible. He's blind. His eyes are open. He's blind. If you see spittle coming toward you, you close your eye. He has no idea. He's blind. Got clay, spit clay. Shoves it right in his eyes. Into his eyes. It really makes sense when you understand they were made out of dirt in the first place. The Lord's repeating what he did in the Garden of Eden. And then this guy's got irritating spittle clay in his eyes, and it's itching, it's burning. He came for a one-touch or two-touch. And the Lord says, now, go wash. Not just anywhere, in a certain pool, the pool of Siloam. I'm blind, my eyes are full of mud, I'm burning, I'm stinging, and I am blind. Hello, I am blind. I have no idea where Siloam is. Find somebody to help you. Okay. Can you imagine? And as soon as he washes the clay out of his eyes in the pool of Siloam, he's healed. Jesus spit and do all that stuff because he knows the one-touchers and two-touchers are watching. And he says, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and you hear the sound thereof, but can't tell where it came from or where it's going. So is everyone born of the Spirit. I'm not going to fit in your one-touch box, your two-touch box. I'll spit if I want to because I'm God and you're not. You can make an idol of divine material over something God did and miss what God wants to do next. Now, I'm not saying we're going to spit on you tomorrow morning. I'm, you don't understand what I'm saying. God may do it in a way you've never seen him do it before. That's why I'm real, uh, you know, now doctrine, uh, uh, biblical accuracy is huge with me. Anything that's biblically inaccurate, I'll probably, you're going to probably hear my voice. I feel like that's part of my assignment. We have to stay true to the Word of God. 
but new, new songs, praise God, as long as they're biblical. New ideas, praise the Lord. People got all upset when lights and stuff, and people started using some lights. I don't care. Use the light of the world. So am I. Flash the lights. Let's go. Praise God. Bring them in. Praise the Lord. I don't have a problem with it unless it becomes show instead of worship, and then I have a problem. But I've seen people show by holding a hymnal up without any light. Hello? So let's be open. Let's not make an idol out of something God did and miss what God wants to do next. You believe that? Say amen. An aversion to change. I think I've switched some things around. Yeah. An aversion to change. An aversion to change. What does aversion mean? The word aversion. It means this, a feeling of repugnance towards something with an intense desire to avoid it. A feeling of repugnance, it repels me. I hate to even think of it. A feeling of repugnance towards something that creates an intense desire to avoid it. So many of God's people, God wants to take them to next but they have a feeling of repugnance and a desire to avoid change. They don't want to change. They want to go to next, but they don't want to change. Folks, God is constantly changing us. Remember when I started last night, one of the first things I told you was, God doesn't change ever. He doesn't change himself but he's constantly changing us. I'm 64. I've been preaching since I was 15. And the Lord is changing me. He'll be changing me two years from now. He'll be changing me 10 years from now. He'll be changing me until I die. Then I'll really change. Don't have this repugnance of change. Well, that's not the way we did it. Yeah, but this is the way we're going to do it now. Let's go. Don't have a repugnance to change. Demons are not the problem in the North American church. Christians are the problem. Who don't want any kind of change. One of my mentors when I was a kid, young person, was C.M. Ward. At that time, he had the only international radio broadcast preaching the gospel, revival time. It all came on with, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate, fall, and leashels would go. You know, back when they did this. It's revival time across the nation and around the world with evangelist C.M. Ward. Brother Ward would come, and he had his, his messages typed out on a piece of paper like this. And when you were at a live broadcast, he would be standing, and he'd be holding it in one hand, and his glasses down, and he'd be reading it. But if you heard it on radio, you thought it was all spontaneous revelation. He was a master at it. And he had pastored in Bakersfield, California. Interesting, he was a Canadian. He was born in Canada and uh, moved to the United States. And he pastored in Bakersfield, California at one time. <laughs> and his church began to grow. 
and people begin to complain. Whenever you grow, you'll have complaints. If your business grows, you're going to have complaints. Your relationship grows, you're going to have complaints. Church grows, you're going to have complaints. If you have no complaints, you're not doing anything. Do something till someone complains. Complaint is proof of progress. You want somebody to complain. Some complaints will help you. Others are just mosquitoes buzzing. And C.M. Ward told the people, and back then they had Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. He preached on Sunday morning, and he said, the church will be closed until next Sunday morning. We'll have no Sunday night. We'll have no Wednesday night. The offices will not be open. He shut it down. He said, don't come to the church building. You won't be allowed in. We're doing some work. And they had pews, and they were bolted to the floor. And he had a crew come in and unbolt all the pews. And he turned all the pews around backwards and faced the back of the building. He brought the pulpit, which was always right here, down, and he put it in the middle aisle, in the middle. They had an organ over here and a piano over here, and he put the piano back there and the organ over here halfway back. Everything was changed. And they opened the church, and the people walked in there going. They couldn't find their seat because the seats were all turned. It was all turned around different, and they didn't know where to sit. And, man, we're looking at the back, and the pulpit's not even in the back. The pulpit's halfway up the aisle, and the organ's over here. The piano's up here, and what are we doing? And he came, they all came in. It came time to start, and he sat down. They all sat down, and he said, good morning, everyone. Let's stand so I can pray the dismissal prayer. That's the first thing he did, the dismissal prayer. So he prayed the dismissal prayer, and some people are looking back and saying, are we supposed to leave? And some of them got up to leave and said, oh, no, we're, we're not dismissed. You just prayed the dismissal prayer. I know, but we wanted to do the dismissal first today rather than last. And we turned the auditorium around because we wanted to change where you sit. And we put the pulpit in a different place just to irritate some of you. And the organ is back there, and the piano's up here. And the concept of this is, we're going to change. We're on the move. We're going to move forward. Say, boy, his church must have exploded in destruction. No, it exploded in growth. Because you will find the people that have the cancer of mediocrity metastasizing in your business when you make changes. If you have a business or you're teaching in a school system and changes are made, you will find the mediocre. It's revelatory. You'll hear things like this. I don't like this. Why? We've never done it this way before. Is that a good reason not to like it? It is for me. I don't want to change. I'm a musician. I don't play very much anymore, but I can. Praise and worship leader. I can remember back in the 60s, we were all learning to lead praise and worship, and back then you had to have the patterns. And there's nothing wrong with it. Cliff Barrels led millions in the patterns, you know, but you had to know there's one, two, three, four. One, two, three. I got to, you can do it with both hands. One, two, three, four. You remember that? Yeah. All 
Hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. I think sometimes we ought to go back and do that once just to make people change. Because we had to change from this into a new thing. And from that into another new thing. And from that into another new thing. Well, I don't like it. We're not singing to you. We don't care. There is an avergence to change in the church, in business, in relationships. And the minute you change with God, somebody will threaten to leave your life. I'm not talking about just corporate church now. I'm talking about your life. You understand? God's showing me that he wants me to do this next and to change and to move. Well, you've never done that before. I've been your friend all this time. You've never done that before. I know, but God wants me to do it now. Well, I just don't like it. Well, I'm sorry. i got to obey God rather than you. Well, I'm just not going to do it with you. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've got to change with God. Hello? I've got to change with God. God wants me to leave my shirt untucked sometimes. And roll my sleeves up. Me, I'm a three-piece suit guy. I like suits. He likes suits. But even he's changed. <laughs> Look at him. Look at that shirt. <laughs> Slick, you know. He's one of the best-dressed GQ guys I've ever seen. I've even got some jeans that are faded I paid big money to get these faded jeans. <laughs> Made me wish that I just kept all my jeans. I mean, we're laughing today, and I'm using some, you know, kind of goofy illustrations. But, folks, change isn't bad. Now, all change isn't good. Change for change's sake isn't good. Change for because somebody else is doing it that way isn't good. But God's got new things for us, folks. So let's move with it. Let's be flexible, amen? Let's be flexible. God wants to do it different. What if Pastor David is led, you know, some Sunday to come in and, and preach first and then do the worship? All right, that's not the way we do it. Don't have an avergence to change. Just flow with it. Just flow with it. Well, he didn't have the right to make a decision. He's the shepherd. Well, I think we need to vote. We do. We vote with our feet. If you like it, you walk in. If you don't, you walk out. That's how you vote. We don't even vote with our hands. We vote with our feet. How am I doing, Lord? An avergence to change. You can never move to next in your relationship with God without changing. He's always wanting to change us. And I realize that more now than I've ever known it in my life. He's constantly showing Mike Brown things I need to change. And you know, when you're 64, you're supposed to be, I'm set in my ways. I'm set in my ways. That's God's definition of sin. Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray and turned each one 
to his own ways. If I'm set in my ways instead of his ways, then I'm in sin. I want to be flexible. Amen? Anybody love me still? Number next, not perceiving, discerning the pleasant pleasures awaiting you at next. Not perceiving and discerning the pleasant pleasures awaiting you at next. Psalm 106, verse 24, yea, they despised the pleasant land and believed not his word. It's talking about Israel when they came to Kadesh Barnea and they could go in to the promised land and the Bible said they despised, and notice what he called it, the pleasant land, a land of pleasantness, a land of pleasure, a land of joy, a land of enjoyment, a land of prosperity, but they despised the pleasant land, so they died in the wilderness. I've noticed that it's easier to see the pleasures in next for others, but it's hard for people to see it for themselves. How many know Pastor Daniel told me not to do salad, so I'm not doing meat. We got a real problem in the church and Christians with pleasure. We think God's anti-pleasure. Really do. Somewhere in the back corner of our religious teaching, we think God really hates pleasure. And the only scriptures we know about pleasure are the negative ones. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Well, that's the wrong kind of pleasures. She that liveth in pleasure is dead while she lives. They were talking about fornication in the context. Let me give you another scripture. He created all things for his pleasure. The whole planet he made the way he made it. Because he likes pleasure. You don't believe it? Watch this. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. And in his right hand, there is misery forevermore. (laughs) Sorrow forevermore. No, pleasure forevermore. He didn't build a ghetto and put man in it. He planted a garden and put man in it. If you don't believe God's into pleasure, drive the highway, see the sky from Vancouver to Whistler, and see the inlets, see the ocean on one side and the mountains on the other and the islands and the ecology of it. Smell it. Smell the pine trees and the ancient cedars and Get on a Razor Polaris ATV and go straight up a mountain over the rocks. Get up to the top where there's a log, an ancient cedar log that's been cut down, sticking out. And Pastor got Winona by the hand, and they walked all the way out on the end of this log, standing over a precipice. And we took a picture. And when she got off, I walked over to her and I said, The devil told you. You weren't supposed to be here this year. Somebody ought to have a shout fit right there. Hallelujah. Makes me want to jump in the baptistry. Glory to God. You'd have to see the video. 
And it just hit me when we're up there on the top of this mountain, the top of the world, and smelling this aroma and the crisp mountain air. And I took a picture of that. And it hit me. The devil said, she'd be dead. How do you like her now? Oh, and Pastor Nelson, I looked all around the mountaintops, and I smelled it, and I, I'm experiencing it. I love the mountains. I love the sun, the, the red. I got down, and I was in Lower Whistler. I spent a couple of days in Whistler, and they came up to be with me, and it was wonderful. And Daniel and Brenda came up, and we, had, we ate, we ate, and we ate, and we ate, and we ate. And now I'm going to change. <laughs> and beautiful red maple trees, the fiery red ones. I came, and we looked down, and the sun was hitting these two, and it looked like Moses in the burning bush. It, was, it looked like it was on fire. And we were walking, we found another one, and I said, stand over there by it. And I, I was taking a picture, and it wasn't good enough, so I got down on my back on the concrete. And I laid down like this because I wanted to get that red behind them with an upward view in the blue sky, and I took the picture, and it's a masterpiece. People are walking around, like this. They took a picture of me laying on the concrete. (laughs) There you go. And it's just everything God made is for pleasure. The trees, the water, everything is. And religion has worked for 6,000 years to take the pleasure out of God's world. The ultra-legalism, remember, Pastor Nelson of yesterday? If it's fun, it's sin. No. I climb on my blue roan mare and I ride through the Ozarks. and It's fun. But it's not sin. He made blue for my pleasure. She pleasures me to ride on that mare. And she likes when I'm riding on her. Pleasure. Everything God's in has pleasure. I'm slowing down here on on purpose. I really want you to get the religious mindset out that the only one that's got pleasure going in his kingdom is the devil. There's pleasures in sin for a season. But then the kicks kick back. But in the kingdom of God, there's joy unspeakable and full of glory. There's peace that passeth understanding. You know why a lot of unbelievers don't want to become believers? They've been around believers that are anti-pleasure. I'm anti-sin, but I'm not anti-pleasure. of walking with the Lord, the pleasure of enjoying nature, the pleasure of walking through life with Karen, my precious wife, and enjoying one another's company, the pleasure of it. Man, glory to God. I don't live in the life of I have to. I live in the life of I get to. Pleasure. Pleasure of being married. Not long. Wonderful. 
said, Brown, you act like you're high. I am. I'm high on the pleasures of God. Brother Mike, don't you experience any pain? Hey, baby, let me help you with this. Schedule your pleasure. Your pain will schedule itself. There'll be enough painful experiences in life. Schedule your pleasure. <laughs> Not perceiving how good next is going to be. I got to quit here in a minute. Not perceiving, and we'll have one more session, is that right? Not perceiving how good the next place is going to be. Remember I talked about it last night? We, at the end, we, we used to sing song, I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. But when I get there, it'll be terrible. It's not. It can be. It can be if your attitude's wrong. It's your attitude. It's your attitude. I hate airplanes. I hate airport security. I hate it. People think it's glamorous, fly all over the world. It isn't. Just, I hate it. But I don't get on the plane saying, I hate this stupid airplane. Got to be on another airplane. I despise airplanes. Ah, God, I hate airplanes. It would not be a pleasurable experience. But I get on. I don't like all the stuff he got to, but I don't mind to do what I, I have to do what I hate so I can do what I love. So I just changed my attitude. Praise the Lord. I'm going to get on. God downloaded a, a whole new concept on well-pleased, and it's going to be my mega teaching next year, and I'm starting to down. And sometimes the Lord doesn't even talk Bible. Sometimes he says, you've downloaded a John Wayne movie. Watch it. That's not spiritual. <laughs> Good always wins. Evil's always vanquished. John Wayne. Jesus likes that. <laughs> it's not a problem. Come on, folks. Next is going to be good. Say it out loud. Next is going to be good. Say it out loud. Next is going to be good. For Solid Rock Church, say it out loud. Next is going to be good. For Celebration Life Church, say it out loud. Next is going to be good. For your church, brother and sister, say it out loud. Next is going to be good. If there are other churches represented here, say it out loud. Next is going to be good. It's going to be pleasurable. I was at DDA's church. I'm going to give you a break in a minute. And they have a tall platform. And DDA was talking. And they don't have steps. They have steps over there, but they have it's tall. It's taller than this. And I was teaching and preaching, and, uh, it, and, and, and I just jumped down, and I kept teaching and preaching, you know. And he gets up, and he says, he says, and he said it in English so I could understand. Most of the time he's in French. He said, he said, Dad, he calls me Dad. He said, my dad, he said, he said he's 64, and he jumps down off the platform all the time while he's preaching and teaching. He said, I want to be like that. So when I'm preaching and teaching, I turn around and I've got to walk back over to the steps. And it's taking too much time. So I just, so I just jumped on back. And he, he went nuts. The whole congregation. Woo! Because when you're 64, you're not supposed to be able to even try. Come on, guys. Now, there'll be a time when I can't jump up there. So I'm just going to make a big deal out of jumping up there, <laughs> but I'm going to enjoy my next season. There's going to be pleasure in my next season. 
Come on, somebody. I'm about to give you a break, but let's start believing this. What God does. What God does next is always greater than what God did last. So he leads us in good paths. He leads us in pleasurable paths. What's next is going to be greater. Start believing this. You'll put demons on Prozac when you start believing this. I got to quit and give you a break, but watch this. I was talking to Karen yesterday before I came to church, and she said, well, we got a letter from our insurance carrier. I said, oh, joy. I figured it was an, another raise of rates. We have a brilliant government in the U.S. who has come up with an excellent plan to destroy health care, and it's working efficiently. And... Uh, Insurance companies in the U.S. are going out of business and just saying we can't cover people in health insurance anymore. And, and uh, our, our rates went up. Karen and I, our health insurance rates went up from four, 430-something a month with a $2,000 each deductible to $1,280 a month with a $6,000 each deductible. And then we got a letter yesterday telling us that the insurance carrier is going to no longer cover people in that region of the country. And so I sent them 15 grand last year. Thank you very much. Got nothing out of it. And people gripe about tithe. <laughs> and Garrett says, you know, we don't come first of the year. We're not going to have insurance. What are we going to do? I said, ah, oh, well, we'll, We'll find some. We'll find some more. And I said, on, on top of that, we have Jehovah Care. <laughs> it's better than Obamacare. I said, but we'll find some. We'll find some. And I just didn't let it throw me. Guys, if you can believe this, I'll give you a break here. I know that's even hard to believe. But if you can believe this, Next is going to be better than last. Don't get thrown with everything that comes into your life. Don't let it just kill you. Don't let it destroy you. Don't let it take your joy. One of the hardest things for me is to pour into protégés that absolutely become demons and forsake you loving the pres present world. That's hard for me. I care about people. I know I've got this gruff side of me, and God uses that on purpose. But I really love people, and I pour my life into people, especially on protege levels. I try in every session I'm preaching and teaching to pour everything I have out, to pour my life out. I have a, a friend that, that has a saying saying, I want to live the emptied life. And when I go to be with Jesus, I want to go empty. It's the way I want to be. Before I go to be with Jesus, my protégés on the other side, they've heard me say it many a time, I want the Lord to give me a 90-day notice. 90 days, you're going to die. So, Brother Mike, he may not do that. I know, but ask. It's okay to ask. And you say, why do you want to do that? Because I want to have one more gathering of eagles, and I want everybody to come. 
I'm not going to have any guest speakers at that one. I do it all myself. And I'm going to line them up. And the music is going to be going. The worship is going to be going. This is the way I want to go. The Lord may not take me this way, but I'll be upset if he doesn't. <laughs> he laughs easier than you do. <laughs> it's really the way I want to go. I want to line them up. I see Daniel and Brenda come by. The emptied life. It's a good life. I want to see David and Winona. I want to see other people. Whoever wants to come. Lay my hands on them. Prophesy. Impart anointing. And then I'd like to die right there. Right there in that session. <laughs> no, I'm serious. It's my death. I, you know, I do what I want. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, I told Karen that. And Karen just can't say, stop it, man. may be alive when Jesus comes, but if not, I just want to tell you, man, what's next is better. Ooh. I feel such anointing right now. I don't know. Why do I come to teach you about next? Why do I want to fill everyone I can this week about next? Because I've been young, and now they say I'm old. I don't believe them. I've been young and now I'm old. And every season is better. And if you can believe it and lean into what's next. And I know some of you right now may be in some real frustrating times. I sense that in my spirit. And you may have been hitting your head against what seems to be a transparent ceiling and you can't break through some things, and you've had some frustrations, and your goals haven't been realized, and your dreams haven't come to pass, and you're living surrounded by disappointment in people. And I understand all of that, but I want to tell you, in all of that, God is moving you to next. If you'll go with him. If you won't have an aversion to change, and if you perceive and discern that just around the next corner, see that? Justin, that's good. I love that. See that? It's not a straight path in that sense. It's straight and narrow. Straight meaning S-T-R-A-I-T, straight. Not straight. It's a winding road. And you don't know what's around the next corner. But it's going to be spectacular. And so you start confessing that. You don't live in paranoia. Oh, what is around the next corner? What's the devil going to do? There's going to be an attack around the next corner. Oh, if there is, it'll be your Goliath promoting you into the king's palace. 
All things work together for good. Oh, I wish somebody would just start praising the Lord with me right now. Come on, just start believing that. Hallelujah. Come on, just start giving him praise. We're going to take a break in a minute, but around the next corner, come on, just begin to confess that, Lord. Oh, whatever's next, whatever's next, whatever's next. Lord, even though if it's a negative report, even if it's a bad report, whatever comes, Oh, you're going to take care of this, Lord. You're going to bring us into our next season. It's going to be good. It's going to be spectacular. It's, and, Lord, we want to take everybody we can with us. But even if some don't want to go with us, we're going to go with you. We're going to go with you. We're going to go with you. And the next. I'm going to give you a break now, but let me give you this little course that just came to my mind. I have decided... To follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And here's the real key about going to next, because it's not hard for those of, of us that have met Jesus to want to follow him. But how about this? Though none go with me. Though some people I love won't go with me. Though some people I've poured into won't go with me, still I will follow. That's where the rubber meets the road. Are you willing to go with Jesus if some won't go with you? I am. And I want everybody to go with me. I really, I'd love to, I really would. I don't know why the Lord wants me to say that to you, but some of you are really struggling with it. Because some people that have liked you for what you've been. God's showing me some things right now, and he's not telling me to say it in words of knowledge or prophetic words just for me to know it about some of you here. And the real struggle you're having in going into next is, is that some people you want to go with you won't go. And that's your big decision. Are you going to stay with them? I'm not talking about just even physically. I'm talking about philosophically, attitudinally, in agreement. Doesn't mean you, you, you're away from them physically. Then they're just not, they're not going to go there. They're not going to go there. And so your big decision is, am I going to stay there with them? Or am I going to go to next with him? That's the big decision. Because you can see them. You can't see him. You can walk with them by sight. You have to walk with him by faith. And that's the decision. That's real real in me right now. Several here like that. Father, give them courage. Give them courage, Lord. We're going to take our break and then do our last session this morning. Give them courage, Lord. Not to be mean-spirited, Lord. We don't want a mean bone in our body. Not to be hurtful to people. But to come to a place where we say, even if they don't go with me, still, I will follow. Some of them here really need that, Lord. 
They really do. And I pray today and tonight as I minister in the altars tonight and tomorrow morning that they'll have a breakthrough. Pray for people that couldn't be here or aren't here today that really are struggling with moving to next. Holy Spirit, let there be breakthrough in lives this weekend to break out of now and move in the next. We give you praise in Jesus.